Hi, I'm Greg Brown, and you're watching Dingo Talk. You wanna know by now? You wanna know by now? You wanna know by now? You wanna know? You wanna know? You wanna Chuckleheads, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest this week is voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. Greg, thank you very much for taking the time to join us. Carlos, my pleasure. Uh, there's nothing like being on Dingo Talk. I've said that for years. Well, I appreciate that. At least I got somebody <laughs> out there rooting for me. <laughs> so you grew up in, uh, well, you were born in the D.C. area, but you grew up kind of in central PA. How does that all unfold? How much time you got, Carlos? <laughs> we, we got an hour. <laughs> it's, a long, it's a long story. Um, I'll try and give you a, a truncated version as best as I can and not to, to bore you with too many details. But I, my father was from Connellsville, PA. My mother from Greensburg, Pennsylvania. Um, my grandfather, my mom's father, was a congressman uh, in Western Pennsylvania for a number of years. So he raised his family basically in Washington, D.C. as a U.S. congressman. Uh, my mother and father married uh, shortly after my mother and her family had moved to D.C. So he started, they started raising their kids in Washington, D.C. Uh, they started out with six boys, and then they had their lone girl of the family. I'm the sixth of seven kids, and by the time I had gotten to uh, third grade, uh, things were not too good uh, in the D.C. area. Uh, politically speaking, uh, the, the atmosphere was not good. It's probably actually similar to, to, to frankly, the way things are going now these days in, in major cities around the country. And my father did not want uh, to raise any more kids. He already had a couple of them. Uh, my older brothers were, uh, one was headed to college, I think. One, two of them were in high school, and he thought it'd be a good idea to get them out of there. He was in the coal business. He was actually a lobbyist for the coal industry mm -hmm. and uh, basically got a job in Harrisburg, PA, when I was uh, in the third grade. And that's that's when the family moved to uh, what turned out to be initially Camp Hill, Pennsylvania, right across the Susquehanna River from Harrisburg and then on to Mechanicsburg, uh, not too far away from Camp Hill uh, on the West Shore and uh, went through my rest of my grade school and high school years there in, in the Harrisburg area. So your roots do tie you into this area of Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, Greensburg, Connellsville. Um, I'm guessing the fan base you were, your brothers and whatnot had favorite teams. Were, was there a specific team that you liked growing up? Were you a Baltimore fan? Were you a Washington fan? Or were you kind of just that wasn't until you got older and then you were already in PA. So you became a Pirates or a Phillies fan. Yeah. My brothers were all huge Redskins fan. Well, now the Washington football team, but at the time, the Redskins, huge Redskins fans and the old Washington senators, a team that moved in the, I think early seventies to Texas and only recently, well, recently speaking as I think last <laughs> dozen years, uh, got a team back from Montreal. So they were all, uh, football, baseball fans. And I really did shortly after the move to, to the Harrisburg area is when I started to get into sports. And for some crazy reason, my first real love was the Chicago bears. 
And that was simply because my brother, again, youngest of, I was a puny little kid. My brothers beat me up like crazy and <laughs> used to play uh, knee football, we called it, in the living room. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that, Carlo, but basically you, you play football on a carpet on your knees. Yep. Uh, with a little football and you throw it, throw it to yourself. And get, anyway, and I just remember vividly being one day uh, playing, getting beat up and looking up. They happened to have, the television set on to uh, an NFL films piece uh, showing an old Chicago Bears running back. At the time, he was in his prime named Gail Sayers. And I was mesmerized by the beauty of this, of, of this slow motion film with the music in the background and John Facenda, the, the great voice of NFL films. Gail Sayers ran over the Green Bay Packers defensive line like a runaway Tonka toy. That's what I remember, uh, uh, that script, like, wow, it was so cool. And I got to really dive into to Gail Sayers. And, and then there, there was a story about him rooming. He was the, I believe, the first black player in the NFL to room with a white player, another running back named Brian Piccolo. Later, that became a, a movie called Brian's Song. And I just was just fell in love with them. And then uh, not too long thereafter, my father still had business in Pittsburgh mm -hmm. uh, being in the coal industry and he would have meetings. And uh, I once broke my elbow falling off my bike, landing on it and uh, really bad, broke it bad. I was in the hospital for two weeks and in traction and it was a mess and, and I was miserable. A little kid just hated it there. And uh, my father promised, you know, if I, did things right. When, when, once I got out of there, he would take me to my first major league baseball game. And that's when he took me to Pittsburgh and I saw my first pirates game. And we actually stayed at the old Hilton hotel and at the golden triangle. And, uh, he would be off this day and age. This is unheard of, but he would go to his meetings, uh, you know, somewhere in the city. And he paid off like a, one of the bellmen to just <laughs> watch me this little kid running around the lobby of the Hilton hotel, this huge lobby. And I would run around all day long trying to get autographs of, of the visiting baseball teams. And that became an annual event for me uh, where I just, and I would gather all these autographs of the, all the great players. Of the, I remember vividly the teams that we saw. My first team was the giants. Next year was the New York Mets, then the Atlanta Braves, San Diego Padres. And as I, I got older, uh, I, I, the, the, the older I got, the, the, the more serious I got about the baseball team. I grew up in central Pennsylvania. All my buddies were Phillies or uh, Phillies Orioles fan. It was kind of that territory, Phillies, uh, Flyers, Sixers. Uh, and uh, one of my buddies' parents loved the Phillies and they would go to all these Philly games. And whenever they played the Pirates, I would tag along with them and go to old Veterans Stadium. And uh, again, my fandom just kind of grew and lo and behold, I became a pirate fanatic. And here you are. Here yeah. you are now. Yeah. So being from Central PA, um, first, were you, did you, you participated in, in high school athletics? Is that how you got in? Or was broadcasting kind of a thing that you always kind of knew that you were going to go towards? Uh, you know, like I think most kids, uh, that get, get that get involved in sports. I, I was an intramural. I wasn't good enough to be, I, I was kind of lazy. I think I, I played, we didn't even, our high school, I tell whenever I go back to, to 
the Harrisburg area where my high school is. I tell my buddies how crazy it is that when we were growing up, our high school didn't even have a baseball team. Now they do. Now they're pretty good. So I played uh, Legion ball. Baseball was my first love, but I played the intramural sports, basketball and football and, and loved all sports. And, you know, my dream was this man, maybe make it to, to play college ball and college baseball, maybe play professional baseball, but found out early on that I was just not a good enough athlete. And as time went on, I, I, I was one of those guys where I don't know if people still do this. Maybe I was unique in that, in this regard, that when I played all these sports, my buddies to this day laugh about it, that, that they got an opportunity not only to play when I was involved on the field or on the court, but they got an announcer. Uh, I would play and announce the game. <laughs> and, and because I, I just loved listening to announcers of the day and kind of impersonated them. And uh, I just couldn't help myself. And, and so that's kind of how I fell in love with the, the idea of, of announcers. Now, I don't know that I really honestly thought that I could be an announcer someday, but I knew I knew two things. I knew I loved sports. And in particular, I loved the Pirates. I guess three th things, the Pirates. And because of that, the city of Pittsburgh. I, uh, when my father took me the first time to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, taking the turnpike and then on to 376, the Parkway East, I can remember as a little kid kind of leaning my face up against the car window. And people often talk about the view going through the Fort Pitt tunnels and seeing the, the city open up, bang, right there's the Golden Triangle. But my angle was different. My angle came in from the Boulevard of the Allies and the Parkway East. But still, to me, looking up at these, what I thought were gigantic skyscrapers, the city opened up to me in that regard. And then staying at the Hilton Hotel and staying up on one of the higher floors and at night, and maybe after a game, or maybe we arrived in Pittsburgh the night before a game and the lights of the stadium, the Three River Stadium were still on. And uh, I just, it, it, Pittsburgh was my Oz. And, and uh, the, the yellow brick road was the turnpike in the Parkway East and the Boulevard of the Allies. I just, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. So I would uh, uh, try and tune in. Back then we didn't have internet. We didn't have the, 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 the phone devices. You can get a, a <laughs> major league game anywhere you want, anytime. You had to work for it back then. Uh, so for me, it was tuning in to KDK radio at night. Uh, during the daytime, there's actually a, there's a station in Huntington, Pennsylvania, that carried afternoon baseball games. It came in even clearer for me, which is great. Uh, in winter months, I would still listen to KDKA when I could at night. I listened to WBBM in Chicago on Sunday nights when I could to hear about a Bears wrap-up game. But uh, so my, my tie became the, 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 the radio. That was my umbilical cord to, mm -hmm. to Pittsburgh. And uh, I wanted anything to do with Pittsburgh and the Pirates. And when I got the Pirate job out of uh, first year out of college, really, uh, that's maybe when I thought about when I got to know the announcers, well, maybe, maybe this was a possibility. Well, so I got two questions. One, when you were coming into Pittsburgh your first time, do you remember if the Parkway East still went to a standstill right before you went into the Squirrel Hill Tunnel? And then it still opened up and there was nothing there. Yeah. 
It was still under construction. Yeah, no doubt about that. It was down to one lane, took forever, but yeah. So nothing was, you know, changed. It's just nothing is absolutely nothing has changed for what, almost 50, probably close to 50 years ago. Uh, my second question is, so you brought up college. I'm guessing because Pittsburgh what, held that as an as Oz to you, is that how what drew you to Point Park? Was Point Park your first choice? Or how did you end up getting to Point Park College? First year out of high school, I was a terrible student. When I speak to colleges or high schools, I kiddingly ask the professor and the teacher to please leave the room. And I tell the kids, you know, how bad I was as a student. But I was, I was I was just not into it. I, I, you know, I was into sports. That's all I cared about. I would wrap my textbooks with sports illustrated covers of the bears and the pirates, whenever I could. Uh, I, I was really, a, a, uh, I guess, geek uh, <laughs> to a degree uh, and, and uh, nerd, nerd, maybe a better word. But so uh, I, I was kind of a middling student at best. And then when I, when I got out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went to a community college in Harrisburg to, to try and, and, and figure things out and starting earning some general credits and liberal arts credits. Uh, and that's when an opportunity came up at the Pirates that uh, landed me a, an internship in Pittsburgh. And my first time I got to Pittsburgh, I went to CCAC, got credits. I even visited Robert Morris College to think they had a baseball team and maybe I could get there and I found out quickly that was silly. But uh, <laughs> Point Park, the real reason by Point Park was because of um, how, how easy it was for me to go to, to, to do my job at the Pirates and then go to Point Park uh, at night and, and get some, some college credits. Robert Morris back then, I don't know if it's still the case, he actually had to, the first, I think, couple of years live in uh, Moon before yeah. you could go to the downtown campus. So that it, it just came down to that was kind of the only thing left. And I didn't check out Duquesne. I probably was, I don't know why, but yeah, Point Park was my. Well, so during this time where you're getting your college degree at night, you spent the first, there, there was 10 years there that you spent with the Pirates that that internship brought you, correct? Well, yeah, my internship lasted one year. The 79 season was my internship year. What a year. And then, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I thought that, that that's all. So this is the way it's going to be. I'm going to be a good luck charm. It turned out it was the exact opposite. Uh, so, yeah. And, and then in, uh, after the internship ended in after the World Series, I went back to Mechanicsburg. And shortly thereafter, I got a call from a, a team vice president that asked me if I wanted to uh, do uh, the instruct, be, be a, basically a clubhouse guy in Bradenton, Florida for the instructional league team. And again, I didn't want to leave the Pirates. I was very, you know, basically fighting back tears when I had left after the World Series because I had my friends there and that was Pittsburgh and the Pirates. Mm -hmm. And shortly thereafter, I got this phone call and heck yeah, anything, I'll take it. <laughs> and so I went down to Bradenton and worked probably the hardest job I've ever worked. I have such respect for clubhouse guys. I didn't have any, any help. I didn't know anything about being a clubhouse guy, but found out in a hurry that, and, and not just the Pirates Instructional League team, I had the Pirates the Yankees instruction league team and a Japanese team. I had three teams and it was from dusk till well past dawn, working seven days a week, cleaning every uniform, jock straps, toilets, showers. <laughs> uh, it was, it, it was really eye-opening. It was, it was worthwhile for me uh, because I think it showed the pirates again, my dedication 
when that ended, there were no guarantees. I went back to Pittsburgh. In fact, the, the, the guy that hired me from the Pirates asked me to, to be the full-time clubhouse guy down in Bradenton at, at Pirate City. Mm-hmm. And I turned him down and he wasn't real happy about it. I went back to, to Pittsburgh and a couple of months later, the uh, director of promotions from the Pirates, who had hired me as an intern to begin with, called me and said, you know, we're looking to hire full-time. You interested? Of course I was and, and went back. So how do you find yourself at, um, because in 87, you end up being the PA announcer for a year, correct? Yeah, I think it was 87. Well, you may have the years right there, uh, Carlo. Um, 80, one of those years, either before or after, uh, I did uh, some uh, pre and post game work on what is now AT&T Sportsnet. That's evolved over the years. Back then, it was a fledgling uh, cable outlet that did 50 games a year it was kbl okay and did pre and post i was like the the robbie and spikowski back then of 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 kbl the first guy i did uh some of that stuff for a year and then i i think i did go pa for a full year after that and uh that's when art mckinnon who had been the longtime public address announcer kind of took me under his wing he had been stricken with polio as a youngster uh you know, he was back at Forbes Field. He was well into his 80s uh, when when the Pirates kind of told him, hey, you know, he, he struggled with the polio. He was in a wheelchair. He couldn't do double headers. It really hurt him at night when it went, got late, rain delays. And I was working the scoreboard room at the time. And uh, he he asked me if I would help him. And so I, I did kind of the balls and strikes on, on the scoreboard at Three River Stadium. And then on occasion, he wanted to take a couple of innings off or a doubleheader. I would actually do public address announcing, and that evolved into the full-time job. And, uh, yeah, I got my hands into a lot of things. That was one of them, the public address announcing. So then from there, is it – do you end up in Youngstown first, or do you make the jump straight to Buffalo? So after the – I guess that was probably 87 – I think you mentioned 87, the public address announcing. And I think, uh, I have 88 here as a sports anchor for, okay. That would have been right. Yeah. Okay. 88. Yeah. 88 was the year before I went to Buffalo. So in 80, uh, 88, uh, Bob Pompiani, who you you probably know is a longtime anchor at Katie KTV. He also went to point park. I actually had the distinction of being classmates with both Bob and Bruce Pompiani. Bruce spent a lot of time, uh, with uh, as a news anchor in Pittsburgh mm-hmm. and uh, uh but I, I took so many years at Point Park that I was able to to actually spend time with both of those guys but Bob called me one day knowing my ultimate goal was to get into broadcasting I was in the front office of the Pirates they called me one day and again I'd done some some work on KBL I'd done the PA announcing I did some voiceover work I hosted a radio show called This Week in Pirates Baseball every Sunday did a lot of things. And Bob, Bob had known that for a long time. And he said, you know, the job opened up for the NBC TV affiliate in Youngstown, their weekend sports anchor job. He goes, I think you should apply. And so I did. And with the help of a buddy of mine in Scranton, Pennsylvania, Carlo, I tell, I don't know if we'll ever get into this, but I, I, whenever I speak to any classes of broadcast classes or individuals, be the high school or college guys and gals, that are interested in getting in the business, I, I tell them that they have to really want it badly. And uh, so I can tell my story almost as an out-of-body experience without any ego. I just tell them this, this is, 
me, I'm here. And yeah. I'll tell you how I did it. Uh, so one night, I was still working full time for the Pirates during the day. And at night, I had a job doing in-game stuff in mm -hmm. the scoreboard room. I, I ran replay in this when we got their video board. So after a game one night, I had a buddy in Scranton who was doing the weather on a on an ABC affiliate up there. And I, I asked him if I didn't have a tape of any kind. I had to give the Youngstown of me on air. I had nothing uh, other than a, a quick thing, maybe a pregame stuff on KBL interview, mm -hmm. but nothing as an anchor. So he was kind enough. He said, I'll tell you what, I will get a cameraman and somebody in our uh, uh, in our room, our control room, if you can get here before like two o'clock. So after a pirate game, I drove all the way to Scranton, Pennsylvania. And sure enough, he and a cameraman were there and somebody from the control room. And I sat at the anchor desk and I had a script and they put it on the teleprompter. And I did this five minute sports cast. And that was it. I drove back to Pittsburgh, submitted that tape. And I got the weekend job at, at uh, FMJ TV channel 27 in Youngstown, I believe it was. And it was, it was great work. I did it Saturdays and Sundays. I talked to my boss at the Pirates. He said, as long as it doesn't affect what you do here, you can go ahead and do it. And I did. I would drive off and stay overnight at a Motel 6 because I did the 6 and 11 on Saturdays and Sundays. Sometimes I would drive back to Pittsburgh after the 11 o'clock news on, on Saturdays and drive back on Sundays. At one point, the sports director took a week-long vacation and I had to do the sports for an entire week, which was uh, challenging to say the least. But I, you know, I did a good enough job where when the sports director around the time, the end of that summer, uh, the fall of that year, maybe the winter, he was retiring and the news director called me into his office and he offered me the sports director's job, the full-time gig at WFMJ TV in Youngstown, Ohio, which, you know, who knows what I could have parlayed that into. That, that could have been huge. Uh, but around that time is when the folks from Buffalo, New York, who were then the AAA affiliate of the Pirates, were making their way down to the Pirate front offices, kind of looking at the whole operation, trying to learn some things. And they were looking to start a little radio network up in Buffalo with the Bisons. And they went to my boss, who was the VP of broadcasting, and they said, do you know of anybody who might be able to help us put together a little network and maybe even do some part-time play-by-play work on our baseball games. And the guy said, I got just the guy for you. He works for me. And so that's when I had to make that decision. That was kind of a fork in the road, crossroads, you know, three decisions I had to make. Do I stay at the Pirates with the big league team? Yep. Do I, do I go to WFMJ TV full-time and become a sports anchor? Or do I leave and go up to Buffalo, New York? I didn't know where Buffalo, New York was. Uh, <laughs> And I really didn't. I had to look at a map and find, wow, it, it was only, you know, like three hours, four hours from Pittsburgh. Yep. And right along the uh, the lake. So anyhow, I came to the decision if I wanted to be an announcer, I better better get there. So while doing the Buffalo Bison, you also kind of, you parlay that into working with the Bills for a little bit, right? Because you did a pregame and a postgame show. And that's a pretty exciting time to be in Buffalo. Yeah. It was great. Uh, yeah, when I went there, I didn't really know what my, I knew. They wanted to help me tramp. They they wanted me to help them put a, a network together, and mm -hmm. that I was going to do some broadcast work. The middle three innings 
of the radio broadcast. The voice of the Bisons, Pete Weber, had been there a lot of years. And so he was going to do the first three and the last three. And he was the sports director at the radio station as well. Pete was a mentor of mine. He is now a longtime voice of the Nashville Predators. Uh, he, he was there from the get-go in Nashville. He's tremendous at it. And uh, yeah, so, but, but Pete was kind enough, mm-hmm. dumb enough maybe to throw me into everything. As the sports director of the station, I didn't even realize he was going to do this to me, but he said, you know, hey, I'm taking off tomorrow. He did six to seven weekday sports talk. Uh, he goes, I'm taking off tomorrow. Uh, you do the show. What? So <laughs> I did the sports talk six to seven. Uh, he anchored the sports in the mornings. He goes, yeah, I'm going to take next week off. You do the mornings. So from like six to nine, I was anchoring. And this was an all sports talk station at the time. They had just kind of, uh, somebody, uh, the, <laughs> the riches who owned the Buffalo baseball team and Rich Product, Rich Stadium, named mm-hmm. after this family of Rich Products creameries. Uh, Mindy Rich, the wife of the son of the owner of Rich Products, Bob Rich the Third, she owned the radio station. She was in charge, and uh, so she kind of oversaw the operation. But but I I did the sports. To, I, eventually, I did some UB basketball play by play. Pete, let me do that. I did a little college hockey, uh, and. Though we didn't own the rights to the Bills to do play-by-play, we did have WGR have the rights to the talk shows of the general manager and the and the coach. So we had the 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 Bill Polian show once a week. He was the general manager of the Bills, and we had the Marv Levy show once a week, where we would take calls. And again, Pete wouldn't do every night, but eventually I did like almost every Bill Polian show. Unbeknownst to me, I helped pitch the rights to get the the, the Bills. The following year, we got the rights after I did the pre and post game show with Pete Weber for the first year. And we did a great, we did like a three hour, even though we didn't have the rights to the bills, we did a three hour pre and post game show and we were meticulous. We got tapes from the locker room, both locker room. We put it all together and it was it fast paced, fast moving. And I guess I was good enough that unbeknownst to me, when we got the rights to do the play by play, Bill Polian and Marv Levy had gone to the owner of the station, Mindy Rich, when they were looking for a color analyst. Um, the play-by-play guy was going to stay. had been there since the AFL days, uh, Van Miller. But they suggested to the owners of the station, Greg Brown should be your guy. I didn't even know that. So they, 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 they offered me the job. Initially, I turned it down because I wanted to be a baseball guy. They were shocked. You know, program, program. <laughs> I bet program director calls me in and says, uh, Hey, we got an offer for you. You do Buffalo bills color. And I like, what Buffalo bills color. I'm a baseball guy. I'm not a football guy. I was angry and kind of stormed out of the office. And I think he thought I was trying to get more money. And it, and it turned out he, he did offer me more money. <laughs> uh, when I came back to him, I said, yeah, I'll, I'll take the job. And uh, I did that. The, the, we had the super bowl years, four straight years. It was great. When you're still, are you still going between the Bills and the Bison because they're they're in different seasons? So you're still doing the the baseball as well. You were just with the Bills for football season. Yeah, I had actually become what what the what Bill Polian and Marv Levy, I guess, had suggested to the to them was that we know that Greg's never done football. He's not a former NFL player, and back then more more teams did it. Heck, the Steelers did it forever. Myron Cope was the color announcer. He was known as the voice of the, of the Steelers, but he was a color, never played football in his life. 
but he was the color analyst. He was not the play-by-play guy. Uh, so they suggested that they put me on the beat because they, they said he could break stories for you. Mm-hmm. So let him go to when, when uh, preseason started uh, in Fredonia, New York, uh, is where the Bills trained at a, a SUNY campus, a, a state university of New York campus mm-hmm. uh, in Fredonia. I was there. I was there all the time. And now, so that meant that they would bring in a, a third guy to, the, to do the Bisons. But if, if I wasn't on the road with the Bills, a lot of times I'd do the reporting in Fredonia. And I don't want to make it look like I'm the hardest worker of all time. I need to stretch, Carlo, because this is sports broadcasting. It's nothing compared to what real people do in this world. But um, I, I'd be hard-pressed to ask anybody who did who would then drive not uh, at least 45 minutes, close to an hour after putting a full shift during the day of reporting during training camp, I would leave Fredonia, drive to Buffalo, get to the ballpark and do a a play-by-play of the baseball team. I did that for, you know, probably three, my last three years. Well, and that keeps you connected to the Pirates organization at that time, right? Because Buffalo was the, the, they, were they the double A affiliate? Triple, triple A, a, triple A, triple yep. A affiliate. Um, and that I think is a good place to, we'll take a pause because that'll roll into the first year with the Pirates. I have to send it to our sponsor, Harry Chambers and Chambers General Store here in the town of Bethany. Uh, actually, we it, it's funny that I have to send it to him. We, we had talked earlier when we were trying to set up the interview about getting you down. You, you might have a schedule where you could come through Bethany and I had told Harry and I, I told him last week that we're going to end up doing it through Zoom. And he goes, damn, all I wanted to do was ask him one question. And that question is on my list. So I will ask it when it gets there. But Harry Chambers and Chambers General Store, they have every if, if they don't have it, you don't need it. And it's it, it's a it, it's a fact. They just they have everything you can think of. You can get a breakfast sandwich, uh, biscuits and gravy, soups, daily lunch specials. You can get a, a sandwich made for you right in front of you. Um, and on top of that, if you need to, let's say you're remodeling your house and you need a saw or a hammer or anything, the deli's in front of you and above the deli, there's all the saws and everything that you could get. So make sure if you're in Bethany, you stop into Chambers. Uh, you can also order their t-shirts through their Facebook page. It's uh, Chambers General Store. They have a shirt that says Chambers General Store. If they don't have it, you don't need it. And they have a, uh, it's the shroom capital of the world because apparently Bethany has that moniker, moniker for them. Uh, but I am Carla Guadalino, and this is Dingo Talk, my guest, voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown, uh, and we will be right back. While you're in Bethany, make sure you stop in the store for a daily lunch special, breakfast sandwiches all day try out the biscuits and gravy, guaranteed it'll fill you up. And also look for our new burnt orange chambers. If we don't have it, you don't need it t-shirts. And our psychedelic green third edition Bethany mushroom capital of the world t-shirts. Now back to you, Dingo. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carla Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest, voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates, Greg Brown. Greg, thank you again. Carlos, my pleasure. As I said uh, before, there's, uh, you know, you have a lot of dreams in your life, uh, a lot of goals, and I and, uh, can check this off my list uh, of, of being on Dingo Talk. 
So, well, I appreciate that. I'm glad we can assist you with getting that off the list. Bucket list. Yep. Check it out. <laughs> so we left off. It's 1993. You're still up in Buffalo. Um, how does, how do you make your way back down the three hour drive back into the city of Pittsburgh and, and, and find yourself covering the, the pirates every day? Uh, so when I left the pirates after the 19, uh, oh geez, after the 1988 season, my first year in Buffalo is 1989. And after my first year, now remember I was the assistant to the VP of broadcasting who mm -hmm. recommended me to go to Buffalo in the first place. I knew him. And when I left, he told me, he goes, one of the guys on our crew, we're probably not going to keep after next year, kind of hinting like, you know, maybe you'll get this gig. So I went up there kind of high on my horse thinking, Hey, give me a year in there and bang, I'll be right back as a broadcaster for the Pirates. Sure enough, they, they let someone go and the job opened up and I submitted my resume and tape and I didn't get the job. And I was devastated. I thought, what in the world do I have to do? I spent a whole year, one year in the minors and now I don't, which is, you know, a tongue in cheek because I know guys that are still in the minor leagues now when I was there in the minors. Um, so four years after that, they let go another guy. And I submitted my tape again. And this time, one of the, uh, one of our trainers in Buffalo was, had still had, they, they talk a lot to the big league guys. So he, he, he conversed a lot with them and he, he became a real good friend of mine. And uh, his name was not Carlo, but Carlos, Carlos Ledesma. And uh, good friend of this day, but, but as the football season went on from the fall into the winter, mm -hmm. you know, after the baseball season, they fired the guy and, and, and I submitted my day and didn't hear much, but he would say stuff like, you know, ah, I hear that uh, he was Latin. He is a Latin guy he's from Venezuela. You know, I, I hear that uh, they like you a lot. You know, you, 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 you on top of their list. And, you know, he would keep saying that to me. I, I, I think you're going to get it. You know, they, they tell me that you're, uh, but it wasn't until uh, I was up at, at, in the press room at Rich Stadium, which I reported to every day, basically the football stadium during the season. Uh, it was like a Wednesday afternoon and I'm writing some notes and I'm doing some tape and I'm getting ready to interview someone. And the PR guy from the bills came in and said, you have a phone call from, Mindy Rich, the woman I mentioned earlier, who was the owner of the radio station mm -hmm. and the boss's boss, she was the boss. He said, Mindy Rich wants to talk to you. There's a phone right here. You can take the call. Mindy Rich, why in the world is she calling me on a Wednesday afternoon? I would see Mindy on occasion in the office and say, and she's very nice. I mean, I just, the whole story in itself, Bob and Mindy Rich, how great they are. They're my, to my favorite people and what they meant to me in a really dark time in my Bill's early Bill's career, uh, a lesson in how to motivate someone, I believe, what Bob and Mindy did. But I got on the phone and she used to, she, my nickname was Stains because it, I'm notorious for waving my arms around and spilling stuff all over the place. So I, I, I always, once, once, a, once a week, it feels like I, I spill a cup of coffee or I just <laughs> throw my arms around. So my nickname was Stains. Uh, and I get on the phone. Hello, she goes, Stains. This is Mindy. Hey, Mindy, how are you? She goes, well, I have some good news for you, I think, but maybe not so good news for us. Uh, I got a phone call from the Pittsburgh Pirates, uh, and they 
asked me for permission to speak to you. And I don't want to lose you, but I know where your heart is. And so you have my permission to call them back. So I thanked her and I called them back and they said, we want to talk to you about the, the opening. And that was uh, during, I think I, maybe we did one more playoff game. Might've been, lead, it was certainly leading up to the Super Bowl because I remember being in Atlanta in a rental car or in a cab on the phone uh, the Super Bowl week with somebody up in Pittsburgh uh, interviewing me about the job that I had I'd gotten the gig by that time. I'd been named the announcer, even though I still had uh, a Super Bowl to do. So okay. that's how it happened. So, and you come into a, a time at the Pirates where, you know, 92 season with Sid, where, where, you know, Sid Bream and the slide. And then 93 is kind of the beginning of what ends up being 20 seasons because, couldn't be 21, not after, not after we, we, that number gets preserved. Um, and then Bob Walk joins you, correct? That 94 season, when you come in, you, you have Bob coming off of being a, a uh, player. Um, now, is, is it Bob Prince that's still covering, or is Lanny, or Lanny for Terry, has he already moved into... I don't know when Bob Prince finished up his his time. I know he was there for 28 years, and you're going into your 27th year. So, um, where was where who was the overlap with for you for that first year? So, uh, yeah, my my first year was uh, 1989 uh, with Buffalo. Five okay. years there, as you mentioned, Carlo, and then 90. And I'm glad you pointed out it was 21 years of uh, not 21 years of losing because that means. I would have been the bad luck charm because people wondered that after the losing started in 93, yep. but I came with Bob walk in 1994, as you correctly pointed out, Bob Prince was there for 28 years and he was fired after the 75 season. Lanny came on in 76. So Lanny was still there. Lanny had a big, I know Lanny didn't tell me this, but I know for a fact that Lanny having known Lanny worked with him when I was there in the front office Lanny had always urged me to go to the minor leagues, learn if you want to be a broadcaster, that's how you have to do it. Uh, when the job opened up the second time, I know Lanny lobbied for, 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 for me to get the job. He carried a lot of weight and, uh, and felt that since he knew me that I could, you know, kind of be a good number two guy. Uh, and, and so that's how that all came about. But yeah, so, so Bob and I were rookies in 1994 and uh, that year, there, uh, the Pirates were bad in 93. They were even worse in 94. There was a baseball strike after the first week in August. Uh, so it, I was thrilled to be a major league broadcaster, but my timing wasn't necessarily perfect uh, with that, uh, that, that, that strike. And, and the in fact, one of my first speaking engagements in public as a Pirate broadcaster was at the Butler Country Club mm -hmm. uh, for a luncheon. And I was the featured speaker. The Pirates wanted us to go out as often as we could and, and speak and keep baseball in the minds of fans. So I went out there and, and Steve Blass was introducing me that day. And I'd known Steve for a lot of years, again, going back to my front office days. He became a good friend, one of my best friends to this day. But I point out this story to him and to others about being introduced as an announcer for the first time. And, Bob, and Steve got up there and, and to the, what, I thought there were a thousand people there. Maybe there were only a couple hundred, but I was nervous as all get out speaking for the first time as a broadcaster. And 
uh, I'm sitting there at the, the lunch, the, the day at the head table, and, and Steve gets up there at the podium, and he goes, I'm going to introduce uh, this featured speaker, a good friend of mine. When he left, he spent 10 years in the Pirate Front Office. He left to go up to Buffalo. The uh, year after he left, the Pirates began a string of winning three consecutive National League Easter Division titles. He went up to Buffalo and broadcast the Buffalo Bills and watched the Bills lose four straight Super Bowls. Now he's back. <laughs> Pirates are last place. There's a baseball strike. Please welcome our good luck charm and featured speaker, Greg Brown. And you could heard a pin drop, like jaws <laughs> drop, like what? And, you know, he, he, you know, fast forward 20 straight years of losing. And I started to wonder, maybe I am the bad luck charm, but I always pointed out to others. And as you pointed out, the losing started the year before I got there. Boy, and you bring up Steve Blass. So you, was it, it was not this past season but the season before was the last year for him in the booth is it what was it like covering the games with him day in and day out and 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 you said he's a, he's a dear friend and I think that came across in that last broadcast that you two are together um how close of friends you guys are but what was it like broadcasting with him every day yeah it was just a treat it's still into this day you know people ask me about the, the losing and how do you do it every year well we had those those three years of playoffs of course 13 14 15 and how do you do it and I, for me and then you and i talked about this off mic that, that it, it, it's a great gig i mean broadcasting is not it truly is not brain surgery there's nothing it's just you know it means a lot i know because growing up a fan of broadcasting and teams i know how beloved the broadcasters are so i kind of get that and it's meaningful in that regard. And so many people come up to me and say, I just want to let you know, you know, I listen to all the games and you're my ties to the summer. And I, I, I get it. I also uh, don't lose perspective in that it is the greatest job in the world. Win or mm -hmm. lose. Steve always used to say that. Ba baseball broadcasters, we have, when they're winning, it's a great job. When they're losing, it's still a great job. And so to this day, I tell people I get to go watch baseball broadcast, which I've all grew up wanting to do. And I do it with my best friends, Steve, Bob, John Wayner. Now, you know, bringing guys like the Fort McHenry. I love Kevin Young's a great friend of mine, Matt Caps, I love uh, all the Neil Walker now kind of joining the crew. These are guys that now I won't go out and forth and say like they're my best friends, but they're good friends. John Wayner and Bob Walk, Steve Blass, they're probably my best friends. And uh, I would imagine as the years go on, I, I'm the last summer, we go out with, with uh, McHenry on the road after games, did it with the capper here, did it with KY, Kevin Young. So it's, it's such a treat. that and, and to the point about Steve, every day going to the ballpark, we started a tradition at Three River Stadium up, up at the uh, – take the elevator to the third level where the radio booth and the press rooms are were and uh we would hang out over the the facade of, of looking down at, at people coming into the ballpark through gate a and we would smoke a cigar almost every night and we carried that on that tradition to pnc park outside the the the, the stairwell uh, mm -hmm. even though it's there's a no smoking sign right there at one point i took a picture of it with the two of us smoking and sent it to the VP of, uh, of uh, operations. I don't think he was thrilled. Uh, so we get our hands slapped on the case, but we do it before the gates open. 
and it, you know, no, no harm, no foul, but, but yeah, Steve's to this day, just a, a great, great friend. So I have, you, you brought up uh, two very, well, one, you brought up Fort McHenry, which means that I have to ask, there's a, there's a specific play in baseball. When we were getting back to that, you know, Clint Hurdles now as the manager, after going through a couple of changes, um, there's a there's a play at the plate after 19 innings on I believe July 26th of 2011. I remember watching the play. I was on the phone with my dad. Tag made. Hey, I'm gonna I'll call you back. They're gonna switch innings, and the call is he called him safe. What did you see on that play? And and what is that play? What was that play for that group? Because that kind of derailed that season, but is almost a moniker for the the three years where they do make the 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 playoffs. Is that you know they didn't help themselves, but the umpires didn't necessarily help themselves either. Well, a lot went into it, Carlo. Uh, it was two, you mentioned two thousand eleven. That was the nineteenth inning. So you were telling your dad, "Hey, they're going to the twentieth inning." Uh, interestingly enough. The following year tells you about baseball because we all felt like that was the end of the season. But, you know, you take a closer look and you realize baseball being 162 games, they always say momentum is only good in baseball is, is only as good as your next day's starting pitcher. And the Pirates just didn't have enough that year. In 2012, they won a 19 inning game against the St. Louis Cardinals. Again, they collapsed in September, didn't go to the playoffs. They then went over the hump in, in, uh, in 13, but, that was a play that, um, you know, when you're, when you're with a team all year long and you get to know all these guys, you become friends with them or, or you know, certainly friendly and you root for them, you get to know their stories, uh, you're, you're part of the team. Uh, my goodness, uh, the, the, the voices, the play-by-play guys, the color announcers, you are part of the team. You travel with them. You're there every day. So we have a, a vested interest in this. Heck, financially, you got to be kidding me. I mean – we all made more money in 13, 14, and 15. Uh, the more fans come, the more games you play, the more playoffs, the more money you make. I mean, you can, you can break it down to that, let alone what it means to you emotionally. So in, 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 when that play happened, you know, you're, you're invested in it as a broadcaster. It's a grind. And you, heck, if we're going to go 11, 12, 13, 14, my goodness, 15, 16, we got to win this thing. Because it really hurts when you lose. It's a long night. It's going to be an early wake-up call the next day. you got to go right back at it on very little sleep. You better win this thing to make it worthwhile. And you appreciate it was going on. Daniel, Daniel McCutcheon, the pitcher, had gone, I think, five innings of relief and kept telling Hurdle, I'm good to go. I'm good to go. So you appreciated what he was. He had everything he had left in him to, to, to throw strikes. And, and all of a sudden, he was going to get out of it. Mm-hmm. Out of this situation, there was only one out. And the ground ball to third, throw to the plate, and plays. McHenry's just waiting to tag him. Foregone conclusion, he's out. Um, what I what I know now, you know, I've heard that call replayed at times on other venues. Yep. I guess on the anniversary or whatnot. And there are plays over the years that I certainly wish I had done differently, and that's one of them. I wish I had said because when you hear that call, it's, uh, you got to be kidding me, Jerry Meals. He was the home plate umpire. And I, I wish I had not singled him out. I don't think it's fair. 
to him. I was angry at him as a fan at the time. I didn't think he did all the, himself a favor when he came out the next day, a quote about having seen it, and he parsed his words. He was uh, almost in, in, in lawyer's fashion, how, <laughs> how he worded it. I, I, I thought he could have come clean with it better than he did still. To this day, I feel badly about it because I know the grief he took to this day when he's at PNC Park and Tim Tobacco, the public address announcer, is giving the fans before the game the starting lineup and the umpiring crew, no matter where he is, and the umpiring crew, blah, 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 blah. Jerry Meals at first base, boo. And they come straight down. They, they, yeah, they and, shower. Yeah, and, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really partially to blame for that, maybe more than partially, and I feel badly about it. He's a Butler, Pennsylvania native. Um, so I'm sure he's gotten all kinds of grief because it's an honest, honest mistake. And the other thing about it, um, I'm, I'm a firm believer that that play and the Armando Galarraga play in Detroit, where he had the near perfect game, Jim Joyce uh, was the first base umpire, two outs, bottom, top of the ninth. He calls the guy safe, should have been out. Perfect game would have happened. And he blew the call. Uh, those two plays stand out as to why replay entered baseball. I guess it was going to happen anyway, but I think it sped up the process. That play with the Pirates and the Galarraga play, I think, did speed things up. And I'm anti-replay. Uh, probably you asked me the next day after the, the, the call with the <laughs> Pirates. And the I probably said, heck, yeah, get replay in here. Looking back on it, that would have been a, a rush to judgment and, and a rash decision. And I think we'd all be better served if you eliminate replay from sports. So those two things stand out as, again, calling out Jerry Meals. I wish I hadn't done that. It was just a gut reaction. And, and uh, just replay itself ha happens because of, of that, in a large part because of that play. So... From the Fort McHenry play, I'm kind of going to backtrack a little bit because there's another pretty infamous call from you play-wise. Uh, and, and it wasn't made by a baseball player as much as it was a manager. And it might have been the greatest steal in Pirates history. Uh, Lloyd McClendon and first base. So take me through that play. Uh, yeah, I... I it's another play that I hear re replayed. Um, and, and I, I only remember it really just because of, of hearing the replay. Uh, Lloyd was a fiery guy and, uh, you know, he, he, he goes out there, he marches out and he argues and, and, uh, and he, he started to, to pull the, the base out of its moorings. And I don't know what he, I thought he was going to, if you look at old baseball footage, baseball bloopers and follies, uh, Lou Pinella was a, a fiery manager with the, the Reds and, the, and the, eventually the Cubs, the Tampa Bay Rays, Seattle Mariners. And there was one occasion where he actually pitches that, and the, those bases are heavy. And he just kind of fired it. And so that, that was first thing that came to mind is that Lloyd was so mad. He's going to take it and throw it. I never have asked Lloyd. I have to do that. I just saw him at an event uh, at a Josh Gibson foundation a couple months ago, he was honored in Pittsburgh and, and chatted with him briefly uh, but but uh, I, 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 that's a fun question to, to ask him as to when did he think, I would think it was spontaneous. He was either going to 
grab it and throw it. And then he figured, well, I better not do that. He, and he tucks it under his arm and he marches off with it. And then when he got down the steps and we could see the, the camera had a shot of, of, of the, the runway, he fires it down there. Uh, and, and, you know, talk about things to this day, brought, it, it's brought up because at this very function, uh, they did a, a live auction and I was the live auctioneer. And the guy in charge, Sean Gibson, uh, Josh Gibson's great grandson, it was the, the Gibson Foundation, it was that event. He, he was standing there next to me and telling me what Leech Live Auction was. And he whispered, he goes, Kevin McClatchy, the former owner of the Pirates, was also in the audience. He said, Kevin is going to auction off a first base and have Lloyd sign it. And, uh, and I, I said, is it the first base? And he goes, no. He says, no, but the audience doesn't have to know that. So. So anyway, uh, so so Lloyd is still signing first bases, <laughs> and and arguably could be the the, the greatest steal in, in Pirates history. When you yeah, it's hard. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know of anything else that stand, stands out in terms. I mean, I know Omar Moreno was a great stolen base threat for a number of years in the seventies and eighties, and I think five straight years had seventy or more steals. But I don't know that any any of them stand out as as much as that one by Lloyd. So the only the, the other pirates thing, and, and it's it's something that I, I my dad wanted me to make sure I asked you is my first game was in 1997 with that the and I believe you dubbed that team the freak show because they weren't supposed to be good. And and they made a little they made a run. They I think I think they finished second in uh, in the division. Um, with the likes of Francisco Cordova and uh, I believe a rookie Jose Guillen uh al martin kevin paul kevin pollock polkovich polkovich, polkovich yeah. that's what it was um, probably yeah go ahead <laughs> uh i believe kevin young's on that team jason kendall's on that team i mean those are a lot of young guys that end up taking us through the 90s and the early 2000s um what was the 97 what was special about that 2017 uh, to your point, it was a team that wasn't expected to do anything and just kind of out of nowhere uh, started to win. Now, they, they, were, they benefited by the fact that uh, it was a bad division that year. The Houston Astros out of the National League ended up winning, as you mentioned. Uh, the Pirates weren't eliminated until the very last weekend of the year when they went down to Houston uh, for the last three games. But, but it, they were helped out. Everybody hovered around 500 that whole year. But in this case, the Pirates weren't even expected to be at 500. But those, it just, and that's how this, the freak show thing came to be because it, so many things happened during the course of that season that you mentioned Polkovich. Polkovich came in after um, Kevin Elster was signed as a free agent. He had been a New York Mets star shortstop, and the Pirates signed him as a free agent, maybe even a minor league free agent. But he was, he was the starting shortstop, and a couple weeks into the season, he was like the team leader. Mm -hmm. I remember on the team bus, I'll never forget on the team bus back then we were before Ed Sprague came along, Ed Sprague's on my most wanted list of uh, disdain, uh, former pirates. People ask me my favorite pirates. He's one of my least favorite pirates, Ed Sprague, who was a veteran later on, kicked us off the, uh, the, the player bus uh, guys like former pirate players, Bob Walk and, and Steve Blass and I were on that, that bus and, and Elster would go on the back of the bus, last row, and he'd have that, the old boom boxes, and he would play all these Hootie and the Blowfish songs. Every bus ride, uh, only want to be with you. I mean, that just is, is, is entrenched in, in, in all of our memories. 
and and but he was the team leader. He got hurt, and then Polkovich, this no name guy, comes in and he fills in. And uh, you, you mentioned Jose Guillen in right field, a, a rookie, and uh, they just seem to have like these career. Kevin Young had a great year. Uh, Cordova, these guys, kind of no name pitching staff, and it just seemed to work. And and that 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 freak show happened uh, in Montreal. I think it may be June, late June, maybe early July that year when, when, when I said that if we were doing a TV game, Bob Walk and I and Pirates were behind late. And I had been talking about all the crazy things that had uh, been happening. And uh, somehow Bob and I got in, into a debate. Bob always, you know, pokes the bear with me. Something about how uh, three run homers are great. Kevin Young must have been on deck. And whoever was at the plate, and I said, "Yeah, but uh, grand slams don't happen as much." Let's get. He goes, "What do you mean?" I said, "Well, those are kind of freaky things." So then Kevin Young comes to the plate. He goes, "Well, hey, here we go, right?" I mean, you, you said grand slam could happen here, and then the grand slam happened, and I said the freak show. And thanks to my buddy Keith Oberman and then Dan Patrick, they were anchoring ESPN that night, the Sports Center. I got home very late, was unpacking. And in my room and I had the TV on probably two in the morning and they started, you can imagine my surprise, Carlo, when I'm just kind of doing stuff, unpacking and tired. And, and, and all of a sudden as I'm unpacking sports center comes on with that call, uh, Kevin Young, they lead with that. And, and then they go into da, 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 <laughs> and, and Oberman says, welcome to the, or Dan Patrick, welcome to the freak show edition of sports center. And all 60 minutes, both Oberman and Patrick teased me. Didn't, I mean, they mentioned my name at the beginning, but, you know, kind of were goofing on that freak show thing. And that kind of catapulted that into, uh, and then they started playing the, the, the song Freak Out by Le Chic, a late disco song, <laughs> the late 70s. They, when the Pirates did something crazy at Three River Stadium, they, they did that. And, and then... Uh, they started handing out t-shirts. Some of the players started wearing freak show t-shirts and fans got on board with it. It was just, it was uh, totally spur of the moment. And uh, it, it just happened. Now, is that the normal, that that's a, that the spur of the moment type, because you have a lot of calls. I mean, you have clear the deck cannonball is coming, uh, you know, the Colin Moran calls and the other, the other calls that you've made that are kind of, I don't want to call them catchphrases because that's not what they are. They're, spur of the moment and then they stick right like it's a the first time you use something it's a that's how you saw it that's the call you made and then for some of them they've stuck I'm guessing yeah I think it's kind of both some some are like that some are I get from fans uh some are very much spur of the moment off the cuff some are you know I these the home run call uh, I, I do some different home run calls over the years but a, a real good friend of mine to this day uh, but my barber he owns a, a actually owns now a, a bar in in uh, McKee's Rocks uh, he's a big bucko fan and one night he called me he was having a party at his house and uh, I was in on the west coast had to be probably three in the morning in Pittsburgh by the time I got to the hotel and midnight and in, 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 in San Diego or wherever it was and Anson he's on the phone with me he's very well uh, into the program uh he could still basically give me a sentence or two but he was <laughs> he was definitely feeling it I could tell uh 
but uh, you know, he goes, I got the call for you. I got the home run call. It's my, my dad, my uncle, we've been sitting around here talking and we came up with this. Uh, he went through the whole thing about how they were sitting around and Greg needs a call and, you know, let's do something involving uh, something about it's piratey, something along the river, maritime, whatever. And uh, how about, uh, you know, Greg likes the, uh, the movie uh, Caddyshack, uh, quotes it all the time. You know, my buddy Aaron and I do, you know, and when, when Bill Murray, Bill Murray's character with Chevy Chase, Chevy Chase is, is practicing at night. I don't know if you've seen the movie or not, but yes. he goes into, into his, uh, his little apartment <laughs> and, yeah, and he goes, Hey, is that your, your, your ball? I saw traveling through here, Ty. And yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, then he hands over the, 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 the substance, you know, uh, you know, cannonball coming. Yeah. Uh, so, Anyhow, that that works too because it's kind of piratey. But then Aaron said that we, we need a lead into the can't just be can. How about clear the deck, cannibal? Anyway, so I told him I said, all right, got him off the phone. I said I'll give it a shot, and I did it a couple times. And uh, I don't know what stick. You know, pirates weren't very good at that time, and and I don't know that much sticks because you, you you've got hardcore fans, but not a huge maybe fan base until they start to win. But but. About that time, I was down in the dugout watching uh, pitchers take batting practice. They didn't know I was there. They, they, I was kind of in the runway watching it. Uh, they had no idea I was there. Uh, but but at one point, I think A.J. Burnett, they're trying to hit home runs, and I heard A.J. Burnett yell, clear the deck, cannonball coming. I thought, wow, that, that gives it some uh, legitimacy right there. So I stuck with it, and, you know, when the team started to win, then everybody – same thing with Raise the Jolly Roger. I was doing that for years before they were winning and nobody paid attention. And then when 12, 13, 14, 15 comes around, then it became a, a thing, and uh, which is great. That, that's what happens when you win. Everything's better. Well, so when you bring up the, the 12, 13, because 12 is really that where you can see that the team is coming together. 13, obviously, they break, the, they break through. It's not the 21st season of, of losing seasons. Um, a lot of streaks get snapped. There's a pretty big, important call there where Russell Martin gets a, a ball from Polanco, I believe, uh, at home plate against the Cubs. And, and, and that's an important call for, for Pirates history. But then there's a game, and, and that game takes place on the shores of the Alleghenies at PNC Park. There, there's the stadium's packed, it's a blackout. And Cueto drops the ball. What, from being there, being in the, in the, in the moment, what was the atmosphere like leading up to the, the ball drop? And I know that as Pirates, as a Pirates fan, I was screaming at the TV and I, I believe that I helped make Cueto drop that ball. Do I believe that? Eh. <laughs> as a Pirates fan, yes. As a realist, maybe not, but uh, so what was the feeling for you in the, in that moment? Yeah, I'll go down in Pirates lore forever. I know Pirates legend, the Cueto game. That, 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 that Cub game was memorable for me. One of the most memorable because we had to, Pirates had to win. I think the Cardinals had to lose to clinch a playoff spot. And that play, the Pirates had a one run lead bottom of the ninth. Uh, all of a sudden, one thing, Jason really big time closer. All of a sudden, one thing leads to another. They got a runner at second base, and there's a base hit to right field. And uh, I think Marlon Bird actually was right field, I think. Yeah, I think Bird was out in right. 
and bobbled it. And McCutcheon backed him up and picked the ball up. And even though it was a slow-footed runner, the third base coach, David Bell, by the way, is now the manager of the Reds, waves him home. And uh, the throw from McCutcheon is well off the mark. And, and I've talked to Justin Morneau, who's the first baseman for the Pirates. I've talked to him last year off the air. Oh, it was during COVID because we were playing the Twins and we got on a kind of a Zoom call with those guys, the other announcers, to, to get a little rundown. And I said, hey, before we start, I said, Justin, I haven't really talked to you since you left. I said, but you do not get enough credit for that play. It's almost uh, Derek Jeter-like. Jeter gets credit for that, that throw against Oakland where he intercepts it between first and home. And turn. I mean, Morneau did the same thing between the pitcher's mound and, and first base. Now, he's a first baseman, so he should be, but he was right there at the right time. Turned through a strike to Russell Martin, applies the tag. And Martin raises his arms, and here's Grilly hugging him. It was really an iconic, I think, photo uh, that, that, that kind of broke the Pirates out of that. Then we waited. I was on the TV side with John Wayner at Wrigley Field. They kept us on the air because if, if the Cardinals ended up losing, I think some, maybe Robbie was going to do some interviews in the clubhouse with the champagne and all. So we were kind of anchoring, and I, took, I had brought cigars to the, uh, to the booth. And I said to Wayner during a commercial break, they're going to come right back to us. And Wayner, we're lighting this. I don't care if we get in trouble or not. So we lit the cigars. Heck with it, man. Uh, we found out the Cardinals had lost. The Pirates had clinched. Uh, oh, was it? Oh, Keith Moreland was the color announcer at the time for the Cubs in the radio booth, which was right next to our TV booth. And only uh, plexiglass separates each booth at Wrigley. Mm -hmm. And so they can see what we're doing. And he sees us and he kind of gives us a thumbs up. He pulls out, I can say this now, statute of limitations. Uh, <laughs> I can't get in trouble. But he pulls out a, a, a little uh, velvet case of Crown Royal. And he hands it to me. And thumbs up. And so, I, you know, I, I could say whether, I, I won't say whether we did or did do this. Perhaps we, somebody went and got us some Diet Coke. And perhaps... Somebody poured it in. I don't know the answer to that, but we were on the air for another probably close to an hour. Um, and we very much enjoyed that. We, we absolutely reveled, re relished the uh, opportunity to, to, to be there and, and, uh, and soak that all in. Then that, that wild card game, I remember I went to the ballpark very early because I've been a longtime uh, preacher on my soapbox on and off the air to friends and family and fans alike that uh, when I got to Pittsburgh, when I became a pirate broadcaster, uh, don't tell me this is a hockey town. Don't tell me it's a football town. It is neither. It's all of the above, and it's a baseball town. It's not solely that. It's a winner's town. Yeah. Having just been up in Buffalo, it's blasphemy to hear the Steeler fans, me to say this. Sorry, but Buffalo's as good a football town as Pittsburgh is. What? How can you say that? Because I was there. I was there when we arrived home at the airport in Buffalo in the middle of a snowstorm. And it was, we had to take a little path out of the, uh, uh, the aviation area uh, off the main airport. And we flew in and there had to be five or six inches on the ground. We get in our cars and I'm trying to drive through, not only worried about the snow, but this sea of humanity of Bill's fans who would block the, and they even knew me, like Greg Brown, like I'm a, an announcer. And they're like knocking on the hood and you had to wait. I mean, it, it, it's insane how the people are. 
But that happens in every town around the country when you have a winner. And so I would say this. I said, the only thing missing for the Pirates right now is a baseball park. So we played in a football stadium for 30 years, whatever it was, 1970. Yeah, 30 years. Mm -hmm. Now, it was great when they, they, they had some winning teams and they had some good attendance marks when they won, but nothing like if you had the combination of a ballpark and a winner, then you've got some, then you've got the Wrigley field of the East, in my opinion. And I kept saying that through all the years of losing at PNC park, we had the ballpark, but we didn't have the team mm -hmm. and it all came to fruition uh, in 13. And, and so I decided that day of that wildcard game to go way early. I think it was a four thirty five o'clock game. I got there two or three hours before even the gates open, but I walked around the, the outer concourse upper level of PNC Park and I looked down at the corners of General Robinson and Federal Street. And this just sea of humanity of just black everywhere and people chanting and and partying and and huge Jolly Roger flags and let's go Bucks chants. And it was something to behold. And then when the gates finally did open and the rush appears like somebody threw honey on an anthill. <laughs> it, just, it just, I mean, all of a sudden it's filled up two hours before game time. And then the, when, when Cueto dropped the ball on the Martin home run and uh, Steve Blass and I argue about this. Steve hates it when people say that, you know, the fans didn't force Cueto to drop that ball. That's ridiculous. Maybe not. I, don't, I, 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 I have a feeling that, the fans chanting didn't force him to drop the ball. No. But, however, what nobody talks about, what I do believe in my heart of hearts absolutely happened, was in Cueto's mind, of course, they got louder and louder as he goes to pick up the ball. Now they're really on him. So in order to quiet the crowd as quickly as possible, the best thing he could do would be to sneak a fastball past Russell Martin. Get it out of the way. That's what it forced him to do. And that was the mistake that he made, that pitch. And Martin jumped all over it for the home run. And, of course, Bedlam after that. Well, and then the next two years, outside of the first wildcard game where, the, you know, they win, they go to game five with, with St. Louis, losing in St. Louis. But then the next two years, the teams that beat the Pirates end up winning the World Series. You know, you run into Jake Arrieta and the Cubs, and you run into Madison Bumgarner, who ends up having probably the one of the best playoff post postseasons as a whole. The year that they that, that the Giants win, um, and and you know that 15 season, there was so much like, yeah, we're here again. Here we go. And one of those years, the Pirates are what the second or third best team. In the league, I mean, they yeah. there was there was them, the St. Louis Cardinals, and the Cubs, and the Cardinals get get in, and the Cubs and the Pirates are the second and third best team in baseball, and they got to play for a chance to go play against the Cub or the Cardinals, I think. Um, so once the you know you get out of those three years, then the 16 season, I think, a little bit disappointing, just in the sense you know, with with some of the front office moves and the things that that the common fan doesn't really know about. I mean, there's a lot that goes into that. You can't keep it. It's very hard to keep a team together. It is very hard. No matter what sport you're talking about, it's very hard to keep a team together. So, you know, Hurdle, Clint Hurdle runs his, his course. We now are at Derek Shelton. Then you have the, you throw the COVID into there. 
And now, you know, the last season, what was the first year without Steve Blass for you? What was the, the, the feelings? Because again, this is a team last year's pirates that they weren't really, we knew kind of what we were. We were a young team. Let's see who we have. Let's get some guys, some playing, you know, keep Brian Hayes. If he doesn't get hurt, would have, who knows what would have happened in that stretch. Um, what was last season like in comparison to other seasons? Cause I mean, the COVID year is a weird year where you guys are in Pittsburgh broadcasting the games, right? You're not traveling. You're, you're sitting in a studio watching it as we are and, tr- and covering it. But what was, what was last? Was there, was there a change last season? Was it, um, what, what were the differences between the COVID year and the, and, and the year following I don't know if we can say following COVID, the, the year outside yeah. of the original COVID year, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it really, I, first of all, I, I completely crossed out 2020 in baseball. Uh, I was glad to get back, but that, that was not a baseball season. And I say with all due respect to the Dodgers and Rays who went to the World Series, that didn't count. In fact, I think the Dodgers still have to earn a World Series in my mind. I, I just, 60 games of baseball is insane. It's like playing four games of an NFL season. It's just ridiculous. But I wanted to get back to playing. I didn't care how. In fact, I was all in on everything. The replay, runner at second base, extra innings, DH, pitcher limit. I don't care. Let's play ball somehow, some way. Even if I have to report from a studio, get back on the field. So, uh, but that having been said, I totally, and, and I tell Derek Shelton this all the time, you've, you've had one season as a manager in the big leagues, not 2020. 2021 was your first year. And, and uh, it, it was way better because most of the time, at least uh, and, and at my behest, uh, I, I was urging the team to let us at least travel the radio announcers back in 20, I said, let me drive to any drivable place in the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me drive to Cleveland. Let me. Finally, they relented in last year in 2021. I went and drove on my own to Cincinnati. Did that game in the booth by myself. I was on an iPad with Bob Walk. He did the color. He stayed in the studio. I did the same thing in Detroit. The next road trip, and to show them that you know we can do this. That you can't let this thing beat you. Uh, mm-hmm. It drives me crazy that people just. Okay, I get 2020, but we're done. Let's go. Let's live. And, and let's show let's show people, let's show fans, let's show everyone we can continue. We don't have to stay in our cocoons. We can get out there and we can get this done. So did that. And finally, then at the All-Star break, we traveled the radio teams. Unfortunately, we are, you know, AT&T does their own thing. They're, you know, they're owned by uh, uh, Time Warner and, and it's a big, big company and they have different set of rules. Uh, I'm pushing that as well. Finally, uh, last year, we did do the last road series in Cincinnati on TV, traveled just the announcers. We did it. Our producer and director were remotely doing it from the control room in Pittsburgh, but at least we got out there. And again, we showed people. So I've been told, I've been promised that we're going to travel again uh, this coming season on TV, which means it will be full blast. And my fingers are crossed that that is the case that nobody will go back on their word and that we'll do it. Um, and in terms of, of that, so it was better. It was way better to have fans. Oh my gosh, that not having fans in the ballpark is brutal. Uh, it's just so good to, and it really made us appreciate it uh, mm-hmm. to have fans back. And I didn't care if it was 
you know, 5,000 or 20,000. It didn't matter to me. Uh, they were louder, I think, than ever before. Uh, and and uh, I think they enjoyed it. There were some entertaining games. They lost 100 games last season, but for my money, it was more entertaining for me watching all those games than the last couple years. Uh, not that it's his fault, his fault, but the last couple years of Clint Hurdle in 2018 and 19. I had more fun doing last year than I did those two years pre-COVID. And even though they lost 100, I thought they were fun to watch. There were some crazy things, some mind-numbing, dumb things that, that were done on the field by some fired players, including missing first base uh, on a home run, including getting caught between first and home. I thought never, I was wondering if that one was going to come up. Yeah, no, never, never been seen before. A run scoring on the play, crazy. So... Uh, but but still, all in all, it was fun to see that some fun to see some of the young guys finally start to break through. We talk about 2012 season when you could see the players start to emerge. Uh, you know, McCutcheon coming into his own uh, the, the, shortly after the arrival of, of Neil Walker and Pedro Alvarez and some of the pitchers. And I, I equate the 2020 season maybe to about the 20. Uh, let's say 2011, maybe around that time, you started to see uh, Rodolfo Castro, O'Neill Cruz, uh, some of the players they got in the trades, the pitchers uh, that, that came up. So uh, I, I think that you could start to see that more and more as the seasons go on this year and next, mm -hmm. it'll be even closer to that playoff contending team. So you, you mentioned some of the rule changes that happened during that COVID year. There's one specific one I want to ask you about, and it's the universal DH. This will be probably the last question. Uh, it won't be the last, last question, but this is the last baseball question. Uh, what is your opinion as a guy that's now, you know, 20, 27, you're going into your 27th season with the with covering baseball. Um, at the major league level, what do you feel about the, the universal DH? If you can talk about it, because I know that with all the other things that swirl around, there are rules in which, but what, what is your feelings on the universal DH? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I, 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 I honestly, gosh, don't get caught up in it, but I, I think I, only because I did a, a, a thing last week that Lanny for Terry was involved in. Lanny was actually in the audience. Somebody asked him a question about hall of fame and he said, to me, and I didn't even thought of it. He says, Greg, you're going to be passing me in a couple of years. So I think 29 years coming up this year for me, um, which is mind boggling. And, and most of those years, Carlo, many of those years, I know I've been on the, the, the bandwagon with, with Bob Walk, kind of mocking the designated hitter, almost tongue in cheek, but not really, uh, because Bob feels the way I have for years. I, I, have not been a fan of the American League and Bob having played in the National League all those years actually had a dislike for the American League back then before interleague when you would play in the all-star game there's a reason why Pete Rose bowled over Ray Fossey the American League catcher for Oakland Rose playing for the Reds they wanted to win so badly he basically destroyed Fossey ball dropped they nationally wins the game might have destroyed Fossey's career he's never the same after that they dislike each other. They did not. The leagues disliked each other mm -hmm. uh, when they met in the World Series. 
They had never played against each other before. American League versus National League. Uh, American League is not as good a game, in my opinion. And there are, it would take a, a two-hour show on Dingo Talk to go through all the reasons why the National League is different and better than the American League. American League fans like the designated hitter. I, I'm not so sure of that. I think what would have been really cool had interleague play, when the inter, interleague play entered into the equation, what I think they should have done in hindsight, have the DH in National League ballparks, when, in other words, so when the Pirates hosted an American League team, have the DH then, vice versa, when the Pirates or National League team visited Cleveland, mm -hmm. have the pitchers bat, then the two fan bases would have seen what it was like in person. Um, and then I think maybe a different outcome, because I was convinced that had people really seen it, watched it, um, I, I, you know, you, you may be right. I've had, I've had fans angrily email me or talk to me and say, oh, you've been against the DH. What are you going to do now when it comes to the National League? Well, are you going to like it then? I said, ho, ho, ho. Wait a second. <laughs> if indeed it happens, I'll, I'll meet that beast at that time. And of course, I'll have to, if indeed, it's a big if, because to this day, I'm not convinced. I'll wait till it actually is put into play. Mm -hmm. I'll, I'll deal with it then. Uh, but until then, I will not. And what bothers me a lot, Carlo, is that people are, and, and baseball in a lot of ways, mirrors society it has for a long long time you look at how great this sport is in a lot of ways it's because it mirrors society or is out in front in society jackie robinson being one what that led to um is beyond the baseball field that, that that was that was a that broke a glass ceiling years ago mm -hmm. um for for not again not just baseball and sports but in society and, and that so again, I, I really believe that. And what bothers me a lot, and it's happened in the last few years, and, and sometimes I'll go on the air and say, oh, you, there you are, you old man, get off my lawn. And it's not that. It, that's such an easy throwback uh, to me. It, it's that people give up the fight. Like what happened to us fighting for what you truly believe in all, all of a sudden has become something that you mock, mm -hmm. which I don't get. I think you should be, applauded and i think more people should jump i wanted i for years said like hey national league fans pittsburgh cincinnati st louis the old teams that have been here forever the dodgers who were the brooklyn dodgers the the san francisco giants were the new york giants the, the pirates are a team that have been around for 135 years let's fight for it don't just give in uh that drives me nuts beyond the baseball field uh, I, I just I love debating with people who don't even believe what I believe politically, mm -hmm. as long as you keep it civil. And some of my best friends are people I argue with screaming at the top of my lungs. My very best friend down in Houston thinks polar opposite of why, what I do when it comes to politics. But we're still best of friends. Uh, but I love the fact that he fights truly for what he believes. And he respects the fact I fight truly for what I believe. and. I know it's a little strong when you ask about the designated hitter. It's just baseball, but it bothers me that people just are willing to just ah, give up the fight. Ah, it's going to happen. I, I just, I won't believe it till it does. Well, and lastly, I guess my, 
the way I would like to wrap this up is what would you, so you touched on a lot of things in the first part uh, where, where you were talking about the fact that you, you know, you would do, you'd be at Buffalo Bills training camp, get in a car, drive an hour back, do a, do a show uh, or do the, the bison games. You would do the Pittsburgh front office stuff, drive to Youngstown, do the, the sports stuff. You know, what would your, for a college student, for a high school student, uh, maybe somebody not a, in neither of those categories, but somebody that's just interested in getting into broadcasting. What advice as someone who has, you know, started as at the, at the bottom of broadcasting and kind of just level by level inched your way up? Well, yeah, I, I, I talked to a lot of individual uh, over the winter. I have a cup of coffee with guys, gals that, that want to get involved in sports. They, 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 they say on an email, I would do anything uh, to, to do what you're doing. Uh, and then, you know, frankly, to be quite honest with you, uh, too often for, for, for my liking, I'll sit across a table from this person and I'm wondering, like, do you care about anything? <laughs> Like you said, you'd do anything to be a broadcaster. I don't believe you'd do anything to, for like, like it goes back to my point about fighting for things. Like I want to reach across the table, Carlo, and shake them physically. Like wake up, live. Like you are a young, you have, so I, I'm married, have a kid. Don't regret that. That's great. You know, my, my, my son's off to college and all that. And it, it, I'm pretty much, entrenched it's it'd be very difficult it could happen very difficult though to for the stars to align and you pack up and move to another city another location but but for 99 of high school and college students the world is your oyster you can go anywhere do anything uh that you want to do but first you have to so i say find your passion and really believe in it don't tell me you want to be a broadcaster. And then I find out now you really don't. It's like when you get your first car uh, and you, you have your mindset about how much I can afford. Uh, so I'm going to go into the sales rep and, and go to the car dealer. And I'm going to look over and the, car, the good salesperson that he or she is shows you all. And you look, you look at the car and you see all the, the cool stuff inside. And man, oh, I didn't know they had that. So you had your mindset on this monthly payment, but if all of a sudden it becomes that much, which is way more than you had your mindset most times, mm -hmm. but you have your mindset on that car. And then you see that car on the road all the time. Uh, you had never noticed this particular car, this brand, this make before, but now you, you don't, you don't miss it. It's right there. And you get that car. But the point is nothing is going to stop you from getting that car. It's just, it's not going to, you, you'll, you'll take another job. I love mm -hmm. that car. I want to get, it. I'll do whatever it takes. Uh, it could be the, 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 the newest phone and whatever it is, nothing's going to stop you. So the same has to hold true if you want to be whatever it is in life. But in particular, sports broadcasting, you have to be willing to go anywhere, work for practically nothing. I tell people I can proudly say um, old, old time pirate fans used to think that I was the descendant of Joe L. Brown, a longtime general manager, because my name was Brown. I got the, some thought that, oh. That's got to be Joe Brown's nephew, son, grants, whatever. Uh, no, it had nothing to do with it. I did it all on my own. Um, I, I, at one time, I could tell people I cleaned jock straps. I cleaned toilets. Uh, it, but I was willing to do that. I was willing to do whatever. And so you have to be able, you can't be afraid of work. Don't let anybody tell you 
if you have that dream, don't let anybody tell you you can't do it. Because I had a lot of people tell me that's ridiculous when I got the job initially uh, from Harrisburg to, to Pittsburgh with the Pirates. A lot of people, my family, don't be ridiculous. You know, I got the job as the backup team mascot. That's how I got the job initially. But don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Uh, I tell people I've got a modicum of talent. I've got that much talent. I've got that much passion and enthusiasm. Uh, so you do have to have some talent. I know I, I do have some. Uh, you can't just have, be a, some people don't have it and that's okay. Um, they, they, they do other things. Mm -hmm. uh, I, have a, I have a nephew that wanted to go into broadcasting and, and, you know, he just doesn't have it. You have to have some of that, but he's a really good writer yeah. and could be a great sports writer. Like the, it can lead to things. So that's, it's, it's a pretty simple equation. Have a little bit of talent. Don't have to have a lot. You can make yourself that exactly. And, uh, don't be afraid of work. Don't tell anybody you can't do what you want to do. Well, and, and I want to correct myself. Uh, so it's 20. Congratulations on going into the 29th season. Uh, That's okay. I didn't, I'm, I, I didn't want to say, but I'm not looking. Thank you. Well, I'm, I'm not looking to break records. I'm really not. But um, that puts you in a pretty exclusive category. I mean, you, you, yeah. know, you have uh, Bob Prince at 20, 28 years. You're at 29 and Lanny at 33. So you know, you made the comment earlier in the show about how Lanny said you're coming up on, I, I didn't realize that it, as close as you were, but, you know, congratulations. And, and, and uh, you know, I want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for doing the show and for calling the Buckos for all these years. Cause you know, I was born in 91. So when you got to Pittsburgh was right about the time where I could start listening to the radio. So. Boy, I don't like that though. Cause about the time you really started listening is about the time I, I came on board and we started losing. You'll have to introduce me at the next function for Steve Lash. You can fill in for him, Carlo. I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> um, Thanks a lot, Carlo. Seriously, thank you. You're very, you're uh, unbelievably prepared, and that makes it uh, very easy on uh, the subject. Well, thank you. Um, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. Greg Brown, voice of the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday at 10, 10 a.m. on YouTube. You can also catch us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts which uh, just type in Dingo Talk. Uh, Twitter is Dingo Talk. Instagram is Dingo underscore talk because somebody already had Dingo Talk as their tag mark. Uh, you can find us anywhere on social media. Make sure you hit like and subscribe. And one more time, thank you very much, Greg. And, and best of luck this season. Thank you, Dingo. We're going to raise the Jolly Roger a lot, I think, this year. I agree. Thanks, Thanks a lot, Carlo. Go thank Dingo you. Talk. Oh, bye now.